Thank you so much for being with us today at River Oaks. Thanks to all of you who have been parking at West High School for the last few weeks and walking over. I think, I think tomorrow they're going to pave all the new areas and we'll have some additional parking. But thank you for those who've helped us out with that. Also want to welcome back those of you who were part of our first ever medical missions team to Haiti last week and returned on Saturday. And uh, good to have all of you back safely with us. We continue this morning our study of the parables of Jesus. Jesus' parables were that special form of teaching that he used to illustrate kingdom truths. And we've been, uh, for the last two weeks, in the 13th chapter of Matthew. That's because there are more parables in Matthew chapter 13, I believe, than any other chapter. There are seven parables in Matthew chapter 13. Two weeks ago, we saw uh, perhaps the most famous of those, the parable of the sower. And Jesus talked about a sower sowing seed, which he likened to God's word. After presenting the parable to the large crowd, he then gave an explanation of the parable to the smaller crowd of his disciples. Last week, we focused on the second large parable in Matthew 13, the, the weed and the wheat. Likewise, Jesus taught it to a large crowd of people, but explained it to a smaller group of interested followers. There are two very short parables in Matthew 13 we're not looking at, the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. Both of these teach, I believe, the same truth, that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, begins in a seemingly small and insignificant way, but will grow into a mighty kingdom influencing all of the world. We come today to the last three parables about the kingdom of heaven found in Matthew chapter 13. And they are the parable of the treasure, the parable of the pearl, and the parable of the net. We'll treat the first two together, the, uh, the treasure and the pearl, because they teach, I believe, the same truths. And that is that, first, the kingdom of heaven is of inestimable value. It's of immense value, beyond a value we could estimate. And again, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, in biblical times in Palestine, uh, much like today, there was a lot of warfare. Uh, you never knew when an invading people might raid your village and uh, ransack your house, perhaps taking people captive or even worse. And so oftentimes, people would take their, their valuables, uh, their treasured items, and bury them outdoors in a field where they wouldn't be found if somebody came and ransacked their home. And probably when Jesus told this parable, there were those sitting out there, and somebody nud may have nudged the one next to him and said, yeah, I know somebody that found a treasure just like that. Uh, uncovered after a big rainfall in a field. And in this case, apparently, the one who found the treasure recognizes its immense value. Perhaps the original owner is no longer there or even alive, and he understands that whoever owns the field owns a treasure. So he goes out and sells everything he's got and buys that field, and he's joyful about it. In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. Jesus is pointing to the immense value of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. 
Then Jesus talks about a man who finds a pearl. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of pearls. And he finds one pearl, that one special pearl of incredible value, such incredible value that he's willing to sell everything he has to get that pearl. In Jesus' day, pearls were of great value and they were in high demand. That's why in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Pearls were uh, often the most valuable things that people had. You're treasured, you're holy things, Jesus is teaching. Don't throw them before pigs. Per pearls were in high demand and of immense value. Writers over the years have considered that the treasure and the pearl could be identified with Jesus himself. He is the pearl of great price. He is the great treasure. And that makes sense because he is the key of the kingdom of heaven. We understand the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven to be his rule, his reign, where he's ruling, where he's reigning. The key, I think, is the recognition of value. That is what Jesus is emphasizing. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is of immense value. And therefore, it is worth anything one might have to sacrifice to gain the kingdom of heaven. The man who finds the treasure, he's joyful about selling everything he owns to get that treasure. Likewise, with the one who finds the pearl. My wife Beth and I have uh, lately been reading a lot of stories over FaceTime to our three-year-old grandson, our daughter Anna's son Jackson. He loves to read, and one of his favorite books right now is called Stories That Jesus Told. And one of the stories is about this merchant in seeking pearls. And... Um, he loves the pictures, and I'll we'll always point it out if you skim over one of the pictures or leave one out or something. But um, in the little book, there's this merchant. He discovers this pearl. He's got to have this pearl, and he's a wealthy man, but he decides he's willing to do it to sell every single thing he possesses. The seller's going to demand that, so he sells everything he's got except his most beloved possession, his felt hat with a floppy feather. He doesn't want to part with that. However, the seller says, you've almost given me enough to get the pearl. You've given me everything you have. One last thing, that felt hat with a floppy feather. Give me that and the pearl is yours. He says, yes, I'll do it. And he's joyful about it because he recognizes the immense value of the pearl. And Jesus is teaching us that the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's of immense value, and it is worth the laying aside of anything that must be laid aside in order to be part of the kingdom, to have the kingdom. Now, let me stress this. The parables are not suggesting to us that the kingdom of God can be entered by material wealth. We can't buy our way into the kingdom. We can't purchase the kingdom of God. It's not teaching us that Christ in his kingdom can be bought. It is teaching us, however, that Christ in his kingdom are worth anything we must sacrifice in order to enter. 
What might a person have to sacrifice to enter the kingdom of God? Self-righteousness, for one. Jesus told another parable about two men who went into the temple to pray, and one was self-righteous, and he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I, I pray uh, so many times a day. I tithe everything I get. I fast from time to time, and I'm glad I'm not like the tax collector over there at the temple. I'm glad I'm not like him. Tax collector, Jesus said, wouldn't even look up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that's the one whom God justified, not the self-righteous one. Self-righteousness has to be laid aside to enter the kingdom of heaven. Pride, arrogance, idols. There was a rich young man who spoke to Jesus and said, Lord, what do I have to do to get eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the commandments. He said, I've kept them all from my youth. Jesus said, one thing you lack, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. He would have treasure in the kingdom of heaven if he did that. But the young man went away sad because he had immense wealth. Here's the thing we must emphasize. Idols don't fit into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus never said, everybody come on into the kingdom and bring your idols with you. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Jesus proclaimed the gospel beginning with the call to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn away from anything that would keep you from entering the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is of immense value. The kingdom of heaven is worth sacrificing anything that needs to be laid aside that would prevent us from entering the kingdom of heaven. And then we come to the seventh parable, the final parable in Matthew 13, where Jesus stresses this point that a person must have entered the kingdom of heaven to be deemed righteous in the final judgment. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like a net. A net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. Now notice these key words. Notice the point he's making because he's made it before and he will make it many times in his parables. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them, the evil, into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Jesus' day, like today, people often fish with nets. His disciples often fish with nets. A drag net, you've probably seen one before. A lot of times they have cork at the top and heavy weights at the bottom, and it takes several people to pull one through the water. Sometimes people would stand on the shore with one, and people in a boat would just make a semicircle around the shore to sweep in a bunch of fish and pull it into the shore. But once the net is pulled in, you've got to sort out everything that came in the net. There's probably a lot of good fish, but there might be a few jellyfish or things you don't want in there. And so the good is sorted from the bad. And here's Jesus' point. Jesus' point is about separation at the end of the age. So it will be, Jesus said, at the close of the age. The angels will come and separate the righteous from the evil. 
I have been struck this week in looking at this parable and studying this parable. It's something I'm, I'm a little embarrassed to say I never noticed before about the parables because I've studied them. We've done a sermon series on the parables about 10 years ago. But it has never struck me like it did this week that there seems to be one prominent theme in Jesus' parables that to me seems more prominent than any other theme in all of his parables. And it is the theme of separation. Coming separation at the close of the age and the final judgment. It seems to me that Jesus taught this repeatedly in his parables. Separation at the close of the age, the final judgment. For example, last week, if you were here, we talked about the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Jesus used almost identical uh, language to what he used today. So will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels. And he throws the, the, the weeds are separated out from the wheat and thrown into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Well, we see the very same thing today, don't we? So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous and throw the evil into the fiery furnace. But these aren't the only places. Next week, our parable will be that of the unforgiving servant. At the very end of that parable, that servant is sent into a terrible punishment apart from the righteous. A few weeks later, we'll study the parables of the tenants in the Gospel of Matthew. And, and the evil tenants at the end of the parable face a terrifying judgment. We'll find the wedding feast parable in the Gospel of Matthew. And at the end, the evil, those who are not righteous, are sent to a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. The parable of the talents, likewise. The one who buries his talent in the ground is sent to a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's separation. Then there's a parable of the sheep and the goats in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25 where the Bible says these will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. There's separation. And that's just in the Gospel of Matthew. Repeatedly in his parables, Jesus seems to be giving a very, very urgent warning about a coming separation at the close of the age. That is the time of his return when there is the great day. The day of judgment. We haven't even gotten to the other gospels yet, like the gospel of Luke, where we have the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, Lazarus and Hades, I mean the rich man and Hades, Lazarus with the Lord in paradise. So this theme of Jesus is seen throughout these parables. It's the urgency of entering the kingdom of God, recognizing its immense value, recognizing it's worth sacrificing whatever would would hinder us from becoming Jesus' followers. And then the knowledge that a person must have entered the kingdom to be deemed righteous in the final judgment. Jesus is stressing this. And the question it raises for us, of course, is how? How can you be sure? How do you know you've entered the kingdom of heaven? Perhaps the most important passage that speaks directly to this is found in Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You'll see it on the screen. 
The point being made is that our entrance into the kingdom of heaven is provided for us by Jesus in his sacrifice for us. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus says, truly, truly, I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Of course he can't. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then Jesus begins to talk about himself. He says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And Jesus, when he's talking about being lifted up, is referring to his coming crucifixion. And then the famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Jesus is the one who descended from heaven. C.S. Lewis wrote about this. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian writer, philosopher, and he said, for Jesus to leave heaven, to come to this earth, might have been like a diver descending into the darkest, most decayed, slimy water to retrieve something very, very precious to him. The fact is, Jesus saw a pearl of great price. Jesus saw a pearl of immense value to him. And that was you. His people. His people are the pearl of great price for him. So that he left the pure holy atmosphere of heaven to come into the sin-fested smog of this world and live among us to purchase his pearl of great price, his people, to redeem us. It is God himself who qualifies a person to enter the kingdom of heaven. The Apostle Paul knew this, and he referred to this, writing to the Colossians. He's, he's praying a great prayer for the Christians at Colossae, and he He's praying they be strengthened with all power according to his, that is, God's glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. And notice these words, who has qualified you, God qualified you, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We didn't qualify ourselves. We rest on Jesus who provided what was needed to be qualified. And then notice what Paul writes. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, or we could say the kingdom of darkness, and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. When a person is born from above, born again, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, there is a kingdom transferal. God transfers you from the kingdom of darkness, the domain of darkness, into the kingdom of his beloved son the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
because Jesus has provided that redemption. So our entrance into the kingdom of heaven is provided by Jesus and his sacrifice for us. So in these parables, when Jesus stresses our our need to have the willingness to sacrifice or lay aside what must be sacrificed or laid aside to enter the kingdom, our sacrifice is simply laying aside anything that hinders our decision to follow him. What might that be? What keeps people from entering the kingdom? What keeps a person from becoming a true, genuine follower of Jesus? Self-righteousness sometimes. And you know, here's the thing about self-righteousness. It's not just found in religious people. I think we tend to think that way. That it's only the, the arrogantly religious, like the Pharisees in the, in the Gospels, who are self-righteous. But there are many non-religious people, completely irreligious people, who are very self-righteous because they have their own philosophy of how their lives are good enough. Over the summer... I um, took a flight to Denver, Colorado with a couple of others from our church for a, a church meeting out there. And it was uh, one of those flights where you don't get your seat assignment till the last minute, don't get to pick where you sit. So um, I was sitting in a middle seat between two people, the last place I like to sit. I prefer an aisle or a window like most people. But I, I saw my seat and, and I, I might have, I suppose I might have prayed that maybe the Lord would let me you know, talk to somebody about him or shared the gospel. Um, but I got to my seat and I was between two men, two guys with earplugs in their ears and they, they had no interest whatsoever in talking. They were listening to what they were listening to and I sat in the middle and I said, well, it doesn't look like the Lord's opening a door to talk to either one of these. I'll just read a book. And so an hour or so in the flight, I got out a book. <clears throat> the title of the book happened to be The Spirituality of Jesus. And so I'm reading the book, and the guy on my left sees what I'm reading, and he looks over, he says, hey, are you a preacher? And I said, well, actually I am. And he said, man, every time I fly, I end up sitting next to a preacher, <laughs> every time. I thought, well, that's interesting. Maybe, maybe we should chat a bit, talk a bit. <clears throat> and so Sean... Just a great guy. I really enjoyed talking to him. And <clears throat> told me about his life as a bartender, what he did, and his vocation, and how he'd grown up in a church um, that that seemed to be uh, very, very uh, legalistic from the sound of it. But but now he had his own own philosophy, and he, he he told me about it. And he said, "But but this is the way it is. It's all about love. That's it. You just have to love people." Can't judge anybody, just love them. That's all, that's all it takes. That's all life is about. That's all we're required to do. That's all, all you got to do is love people. That's it. Don't judge anybody. If you see somebody that has a need, and you, can, you can help them with some food. You help them out and you just love everybody. And I did a very poor and incomplete job of sharing the gospel with him, but I, but I did say this. I said, Sean, you know, you're right. L love in the eyes of Jesus is of extreme importance. He said, they'll know you're my followers if you have love for one another. It's his great commandment. I said, but I realized something had to be done about my sin. 
Something had to be done about my sin. And that is what Jesus remedied. As the Apostle Paul said, he qualified you for the kingdom of his beloved son through redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus redeemed us. He bought us out of our slavery under the domain of darkness and transferred us into his kingdom through his sacrifice on the cross. Our sacrifice then, whether a religious person or a non-religious person, is to lay down our self-righteousness and recognize no one but Jesus can provide entry into the kingdom. For others, it's laying aside some idol. Reputation. I don't want to be thought of as a fanatic or a Jesus freak. For others, like the rich young ruler, it's, it's money. For others, it's hatred. Unwillingness to forgive somebody. It's a relationship. Maybe something you're doing that you know God doesn't want you to do. The call of Jesus is that the kingdom of heaven is worth absolutely everything. It's worth anything we may have to lay aside to follow the one who has purchased our place in heaven so that he might clothe us with his very own righteousness. May we be, may we be people who are willing to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow the king who paid the price and bought us the place in his eternal kingdom. Would you join me as we pray about that right now? Father, I want to first pray for anyone here who's really wrestling with this thing of entering your kingdom that you would pour out your grace on that person today with a deep and rich and full understanding of the completeness of the work that you did on the cross. Would you also, by the power of your Holy Spirit, so draw them that there'd be the willingness to call you Lord and to follow you fully. Father, would you so work in each one of us that you give us an urgency about that coming day when in your great wisdom there will be a separation. That we'd be prepared to go with urgency to tell others about your love and your provision to enter your kingdom. And we ask this in your great name.